so good to be worshiping together. Amen. Amen. So good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, uh, I, just, I just think that seeing all of us in the room is just this hint of things to come. Now, those of you that are joining us live online right now, we just love that we're able to do this live now and that you can be with us in this moment. I really think this is a great season to be a part of the local church. Uh, I really believe that. I think that this time in our world, this time in our nation, this time in our city is a great time to be a part of a church like ours. And, uh, and I'm excited about what God's doing through our church. Speaking of which, um, through this really unusual year, I don't know if you guys have recognized that, uh, but this has been a little bit of an unusual year. Um, but through this year, we have had the amazing privilege to make a difference. You know that? Uh, I've heard stories of people who have come to faith in Christ through this church through this crazy year, while all of us are kind of sitting back wondering what's going on and while we're trying to figure out what's happening in our society and our culture with pandemics and everything else, there are people who through the ministry of this church are making the decision, adults, young people, children all over the map are making the decision to follow Jesus because of the work of this church and I get so encouraged by that. Not only that, um, we have had an unprecedented opportunity to meet physical needs in our community. I love that. I love that, you know, in coming to B4 Church a year ago, it's almost a year now, uh, a year ago I was so excited to be a, a part of a church that made such a significant difference overseas. You know, Mark Nicholas and, and Fabi and their team, they've done so much to reach so many people around our globe. But then to see all of our effort be able to focus on our community and for us to meet physical needs is a really beautiful thing. Uh, to know that thousands of families get food, that thousands of families were ministered to, that people in our city, people of other faiths, literally this week I held a letter from an Islamic group that was literally thanking the church of Jesus for meeting their needs during the pandemic. Thanking us and saying, we don't know what we would have done if you wouldn't have helped us. That's a remarkable thing in today's day and age, amen? So I get so excited about that. I may be a little bit passionate, but I just see that before church, we have been with people through this storm of the year. And I, I say all that just simply to say that every bit of that is made possible because of your generosity. We, we don't exist as a church if people aren't generous. And so that generosity translates to impact every single time. And, and so I just want to remind you of that and just say that your giving extends the work of Jesus in our city and beyond our city and to, to other nations. That's what it does. Um, I know we've talked about this through the pandemic. There's been lots of different places where you can give. You can give online. Uh, you can give uh, by sending a check-in. You can mail it in. Now that you're in in-person services, there's towers that are by the doors, and you can give there. I, for me personally, um, that's a great thing to have a physical way to actually give again and to, to, ask, to, to participate in worship in that way. Um, but no matter how you give, I just want to say this. No matter how you give or how you've been giving, I just want to say thank you. I, I, I just came to the realization today that I don't know that I've said that enough. I think we've been so focused on trying to get stuff done that I don't know that I've stopped enough to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Um, thank you, especially now, um, for especially as so many aspects of our church begin to fire on all eight cylinders again and our expenses begin to increase even more. I just want to thank you because your, your giving genuinely makes a difference in the world. Which, um, speaking of making a difference, that's what this series is all about that we started. Um, last week, if you watched with us, you were here with us, you know that last week we started this series where we are talking about sensing God's vision for our future. Like, what does it mean to be God's church in the days ahead? And, uh, and if you were part of that last week, then you heard me say that in this grand scheme, one of the things that we've identified is that we sense that God is calling us to partner with him in the renewal of all things. 
That when we read the Bible and we see what God is up to in the world, when we look at the church, the early church that we just spent a whole long time, 26 weeks, looking at in the book of Acts, that we see that God has a plan for renewing the world and he is inviting us to join him in that. So the big picture, the 35,000 foot level view of all of this is that, is that we are partnering with God in that. And I joked last week and said, um, you know, that's, that's just one small little goal that we have, right? We just want to help renew everything in the world. But... What does that really mean, right? It, it means this. It means that our presence in our community should result in renewal. It means that lives get transformed. It means that schools get transformed. It means that places of business feel different because we're there. It means that neighborhoods start to turn and change because we're there, because we're present. It means that, that systems begin to become just, that structures begin to shift, and the injustices are resolved, that lives get transformed by the message of Jesus. That's what it means when we talk about the renewal of all things. That the world we live in should become more whole, that it should become more full because of that, because we are here. That's the big picture. Um, now, one of the things I began talking about last week was this idea, well, how do we break that down? Obviously, that's a big goal. So then how do, you, how do you say, well, what do we do as a church? What do we do every week? What do we do? What does our staff do? What do the participants in our church do? What does our congregation do to, 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 to make that happen? And that's where we began to talk last week about the four Bs, and you just saw them on the screen. The, the beholding, the belonging, the being, and going beyond. What, is that, what does that translate to? That translates to these things that we sense God calling us to do specifically. So last week we began to talk about beholding, and, uh, and we talked about this idea of being in God's presence, that our primary responsibility as a church, the number one thing we're called to above anything else, is for us to introduce people and bring people into the presence of Jesus. That's our number one priority, will be, always will be, always has been, that people encounter Jesus through our church. And we introduced this last week by talking about beholding through the lens of Abraham's life. This individual, Abram, that we meet in Genesis chapter 12, shows us how this idea of beholding God is woven through his plan for renewing the world. If you want to be somebody who renews the world, if you want to be a church who makes a difference, then you have to start with knowing the God of the universe and spending time in his presence. Are you with me on this? That's how this whole thing begins. So we talked about the first B, and now this week we're going to talk about the second B, and that is the word belong. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Um, but we're talking about belonging. And again, we're going to see this idea woven through the story of Abraham. And we're going to see how Abraham's story impacts the church. How does it influence who we are today? So I want you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. There's one in the, the pew in front of you. If you're watching online at home, you can open your device, open your Bible there if you've got one with you. Um, don't open the device that you're watching us on because that won't work, but uh, maybe on another thing. And uh, I want you to just start in Genesis chapter 12. And I want to reread something from last week, and then I want to look at this same passage from the angle of belong. Last week we looked at this from the idea of, 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 of beholding, and now we're going to see it from the angle of belonging. So Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, 
I want to talk about something that I've, I've heard a lot in our culture today. Um, there's, a, there's a word that, that is being used all the time, and I think it's sort of ironic. Um, there are words in our culture that are ironic, right? You hear people use them, and you think to yourself, do you really know what that word means? I'm not sure that you do. Um, but I've heard a lot. I mean, this is a, a very dominant word in our culture today. It's the word connected. Anyone heard people talk about being connected? Everyone wants to connect. Can we connect for lunch? Can we connect online? Can I connect to the internet? Whatever it is, we're all talking about being connected. Our phones are connected. Our devices are connected. Our computers are connected. Um, my thermostat at my house is connected. People's watches these days are connected, right? Everything is connected. But does that mean we really are? We use this word connected. We talk about being connected and I'm not bashing technology, but does technology actually connect us? Are we actually connected today? Um, you know, I've heard people argue for social media, and I know this is kind of a soapbox that I'm on right now, so just forgive this for a moment. But I'm not loving social media in our culture these days, all right? And, uh, and we talked about it on one of our podcasts recently during the midweek about the social dilemma. Um, and I hear people argue that, yeah, it's, you know, it's great to know what Aunt Edna made for dinner last night. Really? Is it that great? Or it's great to know what your buddy Keith did at home last night while he was watching TV. I, you know, we have, we have this stuff that we know, but are we really connecting are people really connecting in our culture today? See, here's what it feels like to me. It doesn't feel like connecting to me. It feels like consuming to me. It doesn't feel like we're connecting. It feels like we're consuming. And there's a very big difference between consuming and connecting. Are you with me on this? See, consuming, when you think about consuming, consuming is really all about me, right? It's about me uh, consuming what I want, consuming when I want, consuming the amount that I want. It's all about me. It's, a, it's defined by me. Every part of it is. So I can fill my life with all of these moments through technology, through our society today, where, where they are just simply moments of consumption, just taking it in. But are those moments really defined by connecting? Just because I see what you're doing someplace doesn't mean I'm connecting with you. Just because I can, you can read about me and I post something doesn't mean you actually feel connected to me. You just know some things about me, but are we connected? Not long ago, I heard the story about a woman who was, um, she was found deceased in her home. And, and this is a very true story. Um, no one actually knew how long she'd been there. Um, but one thing they did know, in the past several years, her friendships had moved from in-flesh, in-person friendships, flesh-and-blood people, to those she interacted with through technology. So she had all sorts of connections, and yet when she was gone, nobody knew she was gone. See, we live in really interesting times, and we have all of these connections, and yet so many people today are horribly lonely in the middle of this. I don't understand this. I don't understand how we can talk about how connected we are and yet there is a, a pandemic of loneliness in our world today. There's a pandemic of isolation in our world today. Loneliness is an epidemic in society today. Family structures are dissolving. The rhythms of birth and, and, and maturing and marriage, all of those have been disrupted and strained in our world today. Community, very real community, where people are really in deep relationships with each other, that has been disrupted, not just this year, but for the past several decades, it's been being disrupted. And our grip on, on what it means to really belong to others, to belong to something larger than ourselves, that has been loosened. It's like we can't grab a hold of it anymore. It's like we have this 
deep sense that we know connection is out there, but we actually don't know how to grab it anymore. Is it, well, maybe I'll just get online more. Maybe I'll look a little bit more. Maybe I'll read a little bit more, intake some more information. But we will never get more connected if we just do more consuming. Our, our culture has become shockingly individualistic. And, and when I say that, I mean it's all about the individual. Our society, even over the last decade, it has become more about people. And I, I'm just, I confess this, that I see it in my own life, that more and more the messages that I'm hearing, the messages that I'm trying to drive out of my own mind, are messages about how I need to do what I want to do, or how I'm going to get what I want to get, or how I want to be what I want to be. There's even a term for this. In our culture, it's called expressive individualism. And it is a way of living in which the ultimate job description for your life, for a person, is for you to consume everything that you want to consume to make you happy. So, th so these days, when you ask somebody about their community, this is what happens. When you ask somebody about their community, tell me what your community is like. You know what happens in our culture? And this is a symptom of expressive individualism. They don't talk about the people they know. They talk about the structures. They talk about the buildings. They talk about the coffee. They talk about all those things that they consume. They don't talk about people. If you walk up to the average person and say, tell me about your community, they don't say, well, can I tell you about these friends that I hang out with on Friday nights or this group I'm in at my church? They talk about the stuff in our culture, the malls and the shops and the different things. And then we wonder, why are we lonely? That brings me to the whole topic of church. What is church? That's what we're talking about. What is church? Is church even really necessary? Can I just tell you? I think a lot of people have been asking this question. A lot of pastors have been asking this question during this pandemic, right? I got a lot of friends who have said, uh, do, do we exist? Are we relevant? What do we do these days? I don't know what this is all about, right? We ask the question, is church really necessary? Is it really that important? Well, I, I have an opinion about that. You can probably guess what it is. Um, but let's assume that you don't agree with me, and let's just assume for a moment that even if you don't, we can say that it's a good thing. Let's assume that church is a really good thing, that it's a part of God's woven design for how humans are supposed to live with each other. Let's assume that for a moment. What does it really look like for you and I to interact with this thing called church? Do we attend it? Do we consume it? Do we use it? Or am I a part of it? Am I a part of it? This is where the story of Abraham starts to get a little bit more traction. I want to revisit what I, what I read a few minutes ago in Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to notice a few specific things again. I want to just read this, the first three verses to you. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want you to notice something in this. The first thing that God says to Abram in this moment is, go. Go. Whatever God is about to do in Abram, whatever God is about to do through Abram, is going to require a departure, if you will. It's going to require a leaving. He is going to need to go somewhere, which means leaving somewhere else. Are you with me on this? You can't go someplace new unless you leave someplace old, right? You can't move into the future until you stop living in the past. Are you with me on this? 
So we have this departure. Whatever God is about to do through Abram, whatever he's about to do to solve the brokenness of humanity, there is a departure involved, and it involves leaving this place you've been and going to this place that is brand new for you. But it is not just a physical location. I think this is important for us to see. Yes, he says go. You're going to go to this new country. But notice, he, he goes on. He says, I want you to go. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your father's household. I'm not sure in, in our fragmented and dysfunctional society if we can fully realize the significance of this, but I just want to try to help us grasp this. This is a culture in which identity, who you are, is deeply rooted in the collective society. Th this is not a culture that is heavily individualistic like ours. This is a culture that is communal. It is a culture where people define themselves as being a part of this thing together. There's a family dynamic. Who you were is defined by your people. That's who you are. All of it was enmeshed. Responsibility what was, was revolved around this society. Expectations were derived in the community. That's how life was lived. It was this communal thing. It may have been a broken communal thing, but it was a communal thing. You didn't choose for yourself. It was chosen for you. That's the way it was like in this culture. Kids didn't go off to college. People didn't say, this is my career path. They lived in this intensely interdependent cultural web. That's the world that we're talking about. So when Abraham hears God say, you're going to go, this isn't just simply a physical endeavor like, oh man, we're going on a little trip together. This is a departure from the land and his very identity. That's what this is. It's like for a brief moment, God says, you won't even know who you are. That's what you hear. When he says, I want you to go, go from the land, go from your father's house, go from your people. When he says that, God says, listen, I'm going to take you someplace, and there's going to be a moment in time when you're going to be so disoriented, you're not going to know who you are. All the ways that you have identified yourself previously, all the, way, all the things that you thought defined you, all the labels that you have used to try to tell people who you are, even those people you, you called family, all of those things are going to be gone from you. I'm doing something new. Now, for us living in our culture, we might hear a description of that culture, and you hear, well, if everything is defined by the group, if, if that's the way things are, you might hear that, and that might sound suffocating to you, right? I can't imagine living in a culture where I didn't have that kind of choice, right? It may sound limiting. You might hear this through our very broken, highly individualistic culture, and let's be honest, self-centered culture, and you might welcome an invitation to depart from that, right? Like, you, maybe for us, we hear that and we go, I'd love to leave a land where my identity is defined by the collective society. That'd be great to leave that kind of place, right? But what if it meant that you woke up the next day in the middle of a desert and you don't know how you got there and you don't know your name and you don't know how to tell people who you are? Imagine that. Imagine waking up tomorrow and you have no way to tell people, this is who I am. You just are. That's what Abraham is being asked to do. His very sense of self was being stripped from him. This departure, this adventure, this is not some romantic Fleetwood Mac, you can go your own way kind of thing, right? But this is also a desert that God doesn't leave him in. There's this shift in these verses. I want you to pick up on this. So then he moves on. He says, you're going to go, you're going to leave your father's house, you're going to leave your nation, you're going to leave your people, right? You're going to leave your land. But then he says, I will make you into a great nation. You will be blessed. Your name your, you, you'll get a new name, and your name will be great. And check this out. You, 
And and all of this that I'm going to be doing through you, you will be a blessing to the people around you. Now, what is God saying when he says this? So so he disorients him, says, you're going to go, you're going to lose your identity, you're going to lose all these things. But then he says, I'm going to give you a new name, and I'm going to give you a new place, I'm going to make you a new nation, and you're going to be a blessing. What is he saying? When he says, listen, you used to belong to this, this old family, this old nation, this old identity, but now I'm going to give you these new things. And through you, I'm going to create something that people can belong to. What is God saying? He's saying, I'm going to form a new people. I'm going to form a new nation. I'm going to form a new identity, and now people can join this new identity through you. So let's go back to what we were talking about earlier with with the church, because, because this is where we find our identity as a church. Because God makes a covenant with Abraham, and then Jesus, he's with his disciples right before the crucifixion, and there's this moment where Jesus uses the same covenant language that God used with Abraham when he said, I'm going to do all these things with you and through you, and he covenants with him. Then Jesus, right before his crucifixion, in the upper room at the Last Supper, he says to his disciples, I'm making a new covenant with you, and I'm creating a new people. There was this moment with Abraham, and then there was that moment with Jesus, and there was a people that was formed then with Abraham, and then with Jesus, there is a new people that is being formed in the upper room. So let me ask you the question that I asked earlier about the church as it relates to people. If the church is a people, if what God is forming is a people, a new nation, a new identity, if that's who we are, do you attend a people? Do you just consume, do you just use a people? No, right? You're a part of a people. You're a part of a people. See, that language right there, that is different language, especially for us in our culture today. I think this is incredibly important right now, and I think it's very timely for us. I am a part of it. You are a part of it. And, and here's what's so fascinating is that all of the language used around the early followers of Jesus and, and his way, all of the language indicates that being a follower of this way means that you're a part of something. You're a part of something bigger. You're not just consuming. You're not just getting information that you think is relevant. You're not just, you're not just playing church. You're connecting with others in very meaningful ways. Every description, which, by the way, we just walked through all of this in the book of Acts, and we see these deep relational connections. I mean, if, if you told somebody back then that you just watched the sermon, that you just went to church online, which I know this is an awkward time to say this, but they, people would have been totally confused, right? Not just because of the technology, but how would you participate in something that passively? And trust me, I don't have a problem with this right now. We're going to give a little asterisk to this and say, this is a season in which we can watch services online, right? But if you begin to think, if we begin to think that church is about downloading information that we find relevant, well, that doesn't sound anything like the church of Jesus, If it's just about finding the the best preacher who's online today, if it's just about getting the message that that made you feel good, that agreed with your views in that moment, that's not the church of Jesus. That sounds like expressive individualism. See, when Jesus gathered his disciples together, they did life together. They did life. He didn't just ask them to show up for an hour on Sunday. They ate together. They took trips together. I'm sure if they had ping pong back then, they played ping pong together. And I'll bet Jesus dominated. I bet he had a wicked backhand. I, 
That's, that's the relationship they had. They did life together. In fact, you know, if, if you walked up to Jesus and you said, where's the church? Jesus would never give you an address, right? Not because the church didn't have a building, but because the church is never a building. The church is always a people. Jesus would have pointed at people and said, oh, you want to see the church? Well, they're all over the place. Look at them. Look at them everywhere. They're at work and at play and on playgrounds and in schools. That's where they are. That's the church. So, so Jesus, he shows us with his disciples what it looked like to belong. And then after those moments, those early moments with his disciples, when we get into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we see the church that is formed out of this example, and, and they eat together, and they pray together, and they share ideas together. They share resources with each other. They share thoughts with each other. They share life together. Belonging was way bigger than a potluck, right? It was doing life with people. Which points to something that I think we lose sight of in our culture today, and it's this. That the most crucial venue for discipleship, the most crucial venue for coming to know and follow Jesus isn't the pew. It's with people. It's in community. Um, our, our individualism has led so many of us to, to treat church like a stadium event, like, like it's a Timbers game, you know. We just file in and we, we get our parking spot and we get in and we find our seat and we, you know, settle in. And maybe you say hi to the person that's sitting around you because that person's always sitting at the same spot because we all sit in the same places. Trust me, I see you guys. I know that you registered for the color that you sat in before we had colors and barriers and all these different things. I know how this whole thing works, Right. I know that. I know this is the case, right? But we fill in, and we kind of sit here, and we get a little bit of information. We download a little bit of knowledge, and then we go back out, and we go back to our lives. But let me just tell you, that's not being a community. That's being a crowd. We have to cement ourselves in community. In fact, I don't think the way of Jesus can be lived out in isolation. It has to be lived out with others, or, or it renders the majority of Jesus' instruction completely useless. Do you ever think about this? Like, if we don't live out our faith with other people, then most of the stuff that Jesus talked about, most of the things that Jesus shared with us, it becomes irrelevant, right? Think about this. Jesus even tells us that he is revealed to the world around us in how we honor one another, in how we serve one another, in how we off offer hospitality to one another, in how we forgive one another, in how we encourage one another, in how we accept one another, in how we bear with one another, in how we teach one another, in most of all, he says, in how we love one another. If we aren't with the one another, you can't do any of those things, right? You can't be those things without community. In fact, one of the early writers of the, of the New Testament described followers of Jesus, this people, he described us as the body of Jesus. Like we are all a part of one physical body, and we all have a role to play in this thing called the church. And this body, he says, this is the body of Christ. The, the made visible expression of Jesus in our world today is the collective of Jesus' followers doing life together in our world. We are the expression of Jesus today. I just want to say, you know, for me, there were years when, um, when I went to church, and these were before ministry years, and I'm going to confess that maybe even during some ministry years, where I went to church because I thought, well, you're just supposed to. Like, um, it's a duty, right? And I'll confess that there were years when I got a little disenfranchised. Like, you know, what's the point of this? Why do we do this? And, uh, and then I'll never forget, there was one night, and I was, I was pretty young, but I was one night, I was out camping, and uh, 
I had a campfire, and I'll never forget this moment. It was just one of those moments where God sort of speaks to you under the stars. And I was sitting there, and there was this fire, and I was playing with the fire, and um, there was, you know, just me with my thoughts. And I remember poking the fire around, and there was an ember that I moved away. There was this little coal that was kind of burning hot. And I remember I just sort of flicked it away. I don't even remember why I did it. I just moved that coal away for a moment, and then I just started watching it. And while the fire was still sort of going, and all the other coals were working together, slowly that ember, that coal began to just fade, and pretty soon it died out. And then right about the moment it was going to die, I just sort of flicked it back, and it lit up again. And all of a sudden in that moment, I realized that is a picture. That is a picture of community. That's a picture of what it means to belong. That's what happens when you try to follow Jesus in isolation. When you pull away from the community of faith, that ember begins to fade. You begin to lose your fire. But then you sort of get nudged back up against it, and suddenly you're like, there it is. There's my faith. I love this. Uh, I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my absolute favorite um, Christian writers and leaders, and uh, he wrote this in, in the book Life Together, in which he really is talking about what does it look like for us to do life together as the church, and he wrote it during a pretty difficult time, for those of you that know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. And he said this, and I love the beauty of what he says here. He says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. What's he saying? He's saying we need each other, right? Guys, we need each other. We encounter Jesus in each other. There's something that happens when we gather together, and many of you may be gathering tonight in this space for the first time in a long time, right? There's something that happens. We gather in a small group. You gather around a dinner table with a group of like-minded people, and it's unlike anything else in our world. So, so if you're following the way of Jesus, God's spirit is in you. And if God's spirit is in you, guess what that means? You're my brother. And you're my sister. And that means we're family. And now we live this authentic, accountable, generous, and genuine life together. That's what this looks like. We belong to each other, and we belong with each other. In fact, let me just, let me just talk about that for a minute. The, I, I love the double meaning of this word belong, um, and, and it's one of the reasons why we chose it to define who we are, because belong gives you a sense of place, right? Belong gives you a sense of identity. There's this part of it where you say, you belong here. When you belong here, you go, man, I feel like I came home, right? Last week, a bunch of us said to everybody in the room, welcome home, right? Because we belong here. There's a sense of place. It's home. You're supposed to be here. You're accepted here. There's a sense of being a part of. That's what it means to belong. The new people that God is forming, create a place where people can belong, right? But belonging also comes with a sense of possession and leads to responsibility, right? You can belong in something, but you can also belong to something. And if you belong to something, then you have responsibility, right? Then there is this mutual responsibility. If I belong to you and you belong to me, that means we relate to each other in a very particular way. And it's a beautiful thing. That's what it means to belong. I belong in this, but I also belong to this. I belong to you, and you belong to me. 
And I owe you a certain responsibility, and you owe me a certain responsibility because we belong in this, and we belong to this together. Are you with me on this? Am I making sense? Somebody nod their mask up and down for me. By the way, this isn't easy because people, I don't know if you've noticed this, we're broken. And, and it doesn't mean there aren't going to be times you question it. Belonging is not natural, especially in our present-day culture. That's why the writer of Hebrews said this. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this. But sometimes, you know, the Bible says things because, because the Bible knows that there's things that are hard for us to do. Like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, where the writer of Hebrews says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, especially during a pandemic, right? But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying, don't give up on this. We need this. We all know this, right? We know we need this. In fact, we know this. Just generally speaking, we know that belonging, in a very general sense, grows naturally out of shared experiences. And the more intense you share an experience, right? You go climb a mountain with somebody, you're going to be bonded with that somebody. You sit in a foxhole with somebody, you're going to be bonded with that somebody, right? The more intensely that you spend time with somebody, the more intense that bond is. When you and I share experiences, we share experiences of belonging, and then we understand what it means to be together. There's something about the intimacy of worshiping together that bonds us together when we do that. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when, when Abram, when he left Ur, um, when he left that people to form a new people, I'm sure there are moments when he, when he would run into people and they would say, hey, where are you from? You know, he goes off to this new place, to Canaan, which was an occupied land. And, and I'm certain that there are people who said, who are you? And you know, for all of his life, he would have said something like, oh, you know what, my name is Abraham and I'm from the land of Ur. But not at this moment. Not after Genesis chapter 12. He would have said something like this or been forced to say something like this. Well, my name's Abram, and uh, there's this whole new thing that God's doing. There's a whole new people that he's forming, and God's going to bless the nations through it, and, uh, and people can join and be a part of this. He's no longer from Ur. He is now Abram who's forming this new people. And let me just tell you, what Abram says there is what we are saying here. That's what we're all about. God's love motivates us to work, to connect community together. We want people to experience the belonging that God has for them. We're here so that we can pursue this depth of connection, this trusting, transparent, honest, loving relationship that we were created to encounter. That's what we're here. Where it's more than friendship, it's gospel friendship. And when we do this, it, it, I truly believe, when you guys, when we do this, it gives our world a beautiful, contrasting view of humanity. And, and, and that is good news for a world that is aching and wants to experience a reality beyond what they're experiencing now. Something that goes beyond the boundaries of language and ethnicity and culture. They want to experience something that's real. I'm going to wrap up with this. I, I love this moment in John chapter 15. Um, Jesus is with his disciples, and, and it's the same moment where he, had to, he talks about this new covenant and um, this new thing that he's doing is a lot like this old thing that was being done through Abraham. And he's talking to them, and he says something that, at least for me, every time I hear these words, it just sort of redefines the whole situation for me. Let me close. John chapter 15, verse 15. I'll invite the band out um, while, I'm, while I'm wrapping this up. But um, John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. And then listen to what he says. Some of you know this already. He says, instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do, listen to this, as it is, you do not belong to the world. Amen? You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. I've chosen you. I love that. You don't belong to this world. You and I, we belong to Jesus and this beautiful community of friends. That's who we belong to. And I just want to say, and I think you'll agree with me, isn't life better with friends? That's what Jesus is inviting us into, gospel friendship. I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now. We're going to close by worshiping together. And I think worshiping together is a deep coalescing experience for us. I think it draws us together. I think when we see each other in worship, it reminds us, you know what, I'm not alone. I've got a group of friends, and we're all trying to figure out this Jesus way together. It's a beautiful thing for us to do. And I just want to be the first one to acknowledge if there was ever a season that could challenge what it means to belong to the community of Jesus, I don't think there's ever been one as tough as this one. To watch online and be socially distanced and all the different things that we've done in this season, it has done everything to try to tear the fabric of what it, of what it means to be the gathered community of faith. And I'll just say right here and right now, we have a choice to make in the season ahead. And that is, will we come out of this stronger than ever? And I think the answer is yes. I want us to choose to belong. I want us to be a church that says, we want people to know what it's like to not consume to be in community, to know what it's like to connect the way that Jesus created us to connect. So with that, I want to pray for us, and then let's sing. Jesus, we just thank you for drawing us into yourself. Thank you for, for, for bringing us out of a world that is broken, where people are just sort of skipping off the surface of the water like a rock that's been tossed and going from thing to thing. You have shown us a way to be drawn in. You have shown us a way to find life, to find meaning in the eyes of the heartbeat, the hugs, the words of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we are so grateful for the life we have in you. We are so grateful for the community of faith that you have formed. And Lord, we want to be a church that shows others how to belong the way that you created us to belong. We love you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.
Isn't it good to worship together? Yeah. I, I just like it. <laughs> it's just good to be together. It is good to be together because Jesus created us for this. You know that? He really did. The gospel does this. The gospel makes us people that have the humility to come together and be vulnerable with each other, to be broken in front of each other. But the gospel also calls us to be something beautiful and wonderful together. So may you be men and women who choose to be a part of a people. May you be courageous enough in a culture that wants to consume to become somebody who deeply connects with the God who created you and the people he created you to be with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys so much. It's so good to see all of you. Those of you online, thank you for joining us. Guys, as you leave tonight, we do have our elders in the room. If you'd like for somebody to pray with you, they're going to hang around. They've got orange lanyards on. And uh, also, just remember, as you're leaving, find your color like kindergarten at the door. And that's the exit you go out of. Guys, we love seeing you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great, amazing evening. And we will see you again really soon. See you later. <laughs>